It's a joy for me to be back at Fellowship Baptist Church, and it's a super blessing for me to have my wife with, with me, Mary, who uh, the last two times I was here was unable to be here, and it's uh, icing on the cake to have one of our five grandchildren, Jade, as well. So this is a very special Sunday for, for Mary and me. Um, I'm thankful for the privilege uh, your pastor has given me to teach in this hour. I want to address how a church can more effectively care for the needs of its missionaries. You know, my wife and I served for 26 years overseas in Asia, uh, and it was 10 years ago, about this time, that uh, Baptist World Mission invited me to become a field administrator and oversee about 25 different missionary families scattered all throughout Asia, as well as the South Pacific. Now, some people may not realize that when we came off the field to become a field administrator, uh, that I did not take a salaried position. I continued to live on the financial support of independent fundamental Baptist churches scattered all throughout the United States. One question that comes up, particularly this year, 2020, is how has COVID affected me? Well, I can tell you that all of my domestic and foreign travel absolutely came to a full stop. But it's interesting that as churches shut down and the meetings were canceled, it was interesting how churches stepped up to the plate to care for the needs of missionaries all over and my family in particular. One church in Tennessee purchased over $300 worth of groceries and drove it from the Nashville area halfway to us in Huntsville, Alabama, where we met them and they exchanged those groceries with us. That came as a super blessing. And other churches uh, for our family, as well as other missionaries, have stepped up and given COVID offerings, which has been a particular blessing uh, to all of our missionaries at Baptist World Mission. You know, in addressing this subject of caring for the needs of missionaries, let me begin this morning by asking you this simple question. Can you describe a missionary? The fact is, missionaries are easily misunderstood. I want to share with you a quote taken from Dr. Scott Moreau in his textbook, Introducing World Missions, and listen to how he describes what it's like being a missionary. It's difficult to imagine a class of people less understood than missionary families. To their advocates, they are heroes and creators of family faith legacies. To their detractors, they are fools and irresponsible toward their children. The truth is that missionaries cannot be easily summed up neatly in a descriptive phrase. Now from that same source, in essence, missionaries are ordinary human beings, they're just like you and me, who willingly embrace living under pressures that are often extraordinary. The missionary population has more pressures and occasions for wounds because of living cross-culturally as missionaries. One pressure that is often overlooked is what we refer to as spiritual warfare. Think about this. Wars produce casualties, don't they? And good armies take care of their wounded. Now, if that's true in the case of warfare, 
on the battlefield, it often is true also in the spiritual realm with God's servants serving the Lord. But many times, people serving the Lord leave the ministry for preventable reasons. Here's a statistic. One career missionary in 20 leaves the mission field to return home every year. And of those, 71% leave for what's called preventable reasons. Now this begs the question, what can be done to stop this kind of missionary attrition? How can the church do a better job of caring for the needs of its missionaries? You see, if a church is going to demonstrate care for the missionary, then it must understand the unique needs of the missionary family. And I want to list just three of them for us briefly by way of introduction. First of all, they, the missionary, tend to face the challenge of transitions much more frequently and to a greater degree than ordinary people sitting in the pew. Changing cultures is a much bigger adjustment than changing cities. I think you'd agree with me that relocating from Phnom Penh, Cambodia to Cape Town, South Africa is a much different story than moving from South Bend to Nebraska. What do you think? The concept of home tends to be elusive among the missionary family. While a sense of loss may be the dominant feeling that may engender for oneself or one's spouse, a sense of guilt may accompany it with regard to their children. Listen to the words of missionary friends of ours, Brian and Aaron Bolin, who were this past year on furlough, just re recently returned to Taiwan, serving the Lord for their second term. Here's what the Bolins have to say. We miss Taiwan. They're saying this while on furlough in America. We miss Taiwan, our friends, our apartment, our favorite restaurants, our settled life, our church family. Life right now is a series of displacements, moving from church to church, house to house. This can leave us feeling disconnected, rootless, and uncertain, but God more than makes up for the challenges we face. We're disconnected from our body in Taiwan, but we get to fellowship with many local bodies of believers week after week. We've left our house in favorite places, but home becomes wherever we are with God's people we love. Friendships may only have a weekend to get started, but many are rich and lasting, and without our normal places and routines to help us function, the Lord has people where they can help us. Thirdly, financial issues tend to be a much bigger deal for the missionary family than for others. Shortfalls cannot be responded to simply by moonlighting or working harder. So what we're saying is the needs of the missionary and the church's responsibility in caring for those needs must drive us to the Word of God. In our text this morning, we're going to discover the testimony of this man named Gaius and how he cared for itinerant servants of the Lord. Through this text we're about to read, we're going to explore how a church might care more effectively for its missionaries. So I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to 3 John, the book of 3 John, and I want to read for us this morning the first verse of 3 John, and then I'll read verses 5 through 8, which is the essence of our study. 3 John, let me read for us verse 1. 
3 John verse 1, the Bible says, The elder, meaning John, unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, if you would, jump with me to verse 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. Verse 8, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Mary and I could never have accomplished all that the Lord enabled us to had not God used people like Gaius. Over that 26-year period of time, we spent most of the time in Southeast Asia. Case in point, my first glimpse, okay, of a Gaius, my first glimpse of a Gaius came when Mary and I attended our very first missions conference at Friendship Baptist Church or Good News Baptist Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Good News Baptist Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, back in early November 1987. Now, here's the picture. We were invited to be housed in the home of the principal of the Christian school, Bill Hughes. Bill Hughes had a very modest lifestyle, had a number of children in the family, and every night after that missions conference, we'd gather around their dining table for a meal and fellowship, testimony time. We'd mingle our tears and laughter until one evening Bill turned to me and he said, Pat, is there anything that you and Mary need for your ministry on deputation? I said, well, in fact, I've been praying that God would provide me a new typewriter. I have a manual typewriter, but I'm hoping that I can get an electric typewriter because of all the correspondence and prayer letters, what have you, that's going on right now. He says, well, tomorrow we're going shopping. I said, what? I said, why, Bill? He said, let me explain. I grew up in a Christian home, and before my parents would invest in anything for our family, we first would spend an equal amount on a missionary. And because I want to buy my family a new stereo, I've asked you what your need is, and tomorrow we're going to take care of this need for a new typewriter. So the next day came, and Bill and I went out the door, headed for Sears. He said, look them all over, Pat. I chose a brand new Smith, Smith Corona with a built-in spell corrector. Remember, this is the end of 1987, pre-computer. And he said, that's yours, Pat. Take it home. That was an incredible lesson for Pat Delaney in selfless sacrifice for another missionary. You know, at Baptist World Mission, we strive to care for the needs of our missionaries. However, we need the corporate involvement of both the sending and supporting churches in that great missionary enterprise. And therefore, why and how can a church care for the needs of its missionaries? Let's learn together by looking into the life of this man we call Gaius. I want to deal first of all with John's authentic love for Gaius. We see here in verse 1. Notice 3 John, verse 1. It's the shortest 
3 John is the shortest New Testament epistle in the original Greek language. Essentially, it's a personal letter written by the Apostle John to a specific person, in this case, Gaius. And between these two men, there is an unmistakable, unmistakable combination of love and truth. Let's look at it here in verse 1. In verse 1, we see the writer John called himself the elder. Those are the first two words in verse 1, the elder unto the well-beloved. That phrase, the elder, suggests both John's seniority as well as his authority. But notice the emphasis of affection with which he describes Gaius. Here in verse 1, we read, the well-beloved. And then it says, whom I love. And that term, beloved, I want you to see it repeated at the beginning of verse 2. You see, beloved is the first word in the verse. Verse 5, the same thing. And then also, it's the first word there in verse 11. Notice the foundation for that love. At the end of verse 1, we read, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love, how? In the truth. The fact, the fact that John's love for Gaius was, quote-unquote, in the truth, means that it was authentic that it was based on God's truth. And you know, I've always defined love this way. Love is the completely sacrificial giving of oneself for selfless reasons. Now, I want us to consider John's commendation of Gaius. Gaius and his faithful, sacrificial hospitality. We'll look at verse 5. The Bible says in 3 John 5, Beloved, Thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Here, John is commending Gaius for having a reputation or testimony of faithfulness. Gaius has been a sacrificial servant to fellow servants of the gospel. He opened his heart as well as his home to these vagabonds for God as they're traveling through the area. That word brethren refers to men who have been living on the road in their efforts to spread the gospel. Can I be very transparent with you for just a moment? Living on the road leads to much weariness of the bone. Let me describe what it was like for us during three different furloughs. This is what I would do. I would uh, buy a 15-passenger van and uh, to transport my family throughout the United States on furlough. I did that three different times. And then I'd pull a five-by-eight utility trailer for all of our worldly goods. And during one of those particular furloughs, it was back in the year uh, 2003, if I'm not mistaken, yes, um, I was very ready in the midst of that six or, yeah, six-month furlough. I was very ready to be done with furlough. I uh, had had enough of being entertained and entertaining. And I was in a missions conference, and the pastor came to me at the end of the morning service I had preached, and he said, Brother Pat, here on this 3x5 card is the address of the family that will be hosting you for lunch. Uh, you just head over to their home, and they'll take very good care of you. I said, thank you very much. And we headed out of the church, and I got my family, and we loaded up in the van and took off. And as we did, I began my drone. I said, wow, I feel exhausted. 
and uh, I really prefer just to crawl into a cave somewhere and hibernate for a while. But as we got closer to where this family was living, we noticed the homes in this subdivision. And uh, they were rather large, and the speed of my van picked up a bit. And uh, we rolled into their driveway, and out in front of their garage, this man was barbecuing chicken. And so as the family got out of the van, one by one, the aroma of the barbecued chicken wafted toward us, and our mouths began to water in unison. And uh, the host uh, received us very graciously and said, Pat, you and your wife, uh, just, just let the kids go and, and spread throughout uh, their 5,000 square foot home and uh, make yourselves right at home. You know, we sat down to their fine dining, enjoyed a tremendous time of fellowship, and afterwards, he said, Pat, come with me into the library. I went into this room where floor to ceiling are all his books and one particular shelf were two rows of the same autobiography of uh, the life of George Mueller and he pulled one minted copy off out of the shelf and he said, here, I want to give this as a gift to you. I said, well, thank you very much. And That afternoon as we got back to where we were staying, I opened up that book and inside was a brand new $100 bill and I was struck by this man's generosity. Well, it didn't stop there. Do you know that over the next seven years we served the Lord on the field and off? That family literally sustained us financially. I refer to them as God's ravens to my family. Now maybe the thought goes through your mind, you know, Brother Delaney, I am not really gifted in this area of hospitality. In fact, I find it very inconvenient to have other people come and stay in our home. Sometimes I find myself wondering, when are these people ever going to leave my home? I think I understand. I think Benjamin Franklin did too. Well, Ben Franklin said this about being hospitable. He says, after three days, fish and house guests begin to stink. And sometimes it doesn't even take three days. You know, the sacrificial hospitality of Gaius is a testament to his faithfulness to Christ as well as his love for the brethren. I want to share with you now three dimensions of Gaius's hospitality. You may wonder why I'm framing it this way. I'll I think you'll understand as we get into this. But consider with me Gaius's hospitality from three different perspectives. We'll look at the length, the breadth, and the width of Gaius's hospitality. First of all, the length. We're considering verse 6 as our text. The Bible says, "...which have borne witness of thy charity before the church." The report of Gaius's hospitality may have reached, and that's why I use that term length, may have reached all the way back to the church at Jerusalem. In other words, his reputation was spread over a long distance. The breadth of Gaius's hospitality. The next phrase in that verse, if thou bring forward on their journey, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey. Literally, it means to assist in the course of journey. So how did Gaius assist 
these traveling vagabonds for God. You know, it's interesting that John does not use the term hospitality anywhere in this text. He didn't mention cooking, washing clothes, gifts of money, material things. But that's what faith and love do. Think of these two texts of Scripture. James chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Think of 3 John chapter 3, or 1 John 3, verses 16 to 18. Hereby perceive or understand we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And then finally, the depth. The depth of Gaius' hospitality. The end of that verse says, after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. John here is telling Gaius, you need to send God's servants on their way in a way or in a manner that is worthy of God. That's critical to how the church is to care for missionaries and other servants of the Lord. Why? Because it's obvious that God is watching how we take care of his servants. Think with me. Do you love God deeply this morning? Then, brethren, it ought to show. And essentially, the church needs to treat God's servants in the same way God should be treated himself. Consider with me a text of Scripture. Now, I know we look at this text in its eschatological context. But there's a principle here that needs to be applied, and it can be applied in this case. So, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, if you want to turn there, I want to read beginning of verse 35 down through verse 40. Matthew chapter 25, beginning of verse 35, you know the text well. It says this, For I was a hungered, Jesus speaking, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Then notice what Jesus says in verse 40 of this chapter. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. The Bible says, And the king shall enter and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. What's the point? The point is this. When you engage in sacrificial hospitality toward the brethren, it's as though you're caring for Jesus Christ himself. Now, let's get to this last issue. I want to give you two reasons the church should do more for missionaries. You say, Brother Pat, do more for missionaries? We already do quite a bit. Please follow along with me and my train of thought. Verse 7 is our text. We want to notice the first part of verse 7. Notice verse 7, 3 John. 
because that for his name's sake, they went forth. Let's focus on that phrase. What is so significant about that name? What name? The name of Jesus. What's so significant about that? Think of these words from Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, where the Bible says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, it's always been a supreme honor to go out on behalf of that name. I remember so well when our home church commissioned us to go to Singapore. Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. The reference to the name of our Savior is an expression that represents everything there is to know about God's nature, His attributes, His deity, His gospel, as well as His glory. You know, I think of the words of the chorus to that song, it's in His name. The chorus contains these words. His name is wonderful, counselor, mighty God. His name is Jesus, and He's ever the same. There is a calm that fear assails. There is a power all nature hails. There is a love that never fails. It's in his name. It's in his name. So, another reason, another reason we should do more for the needs of God's servants. The end of verse 7, we see the phrase, taking nothing of the Gentiles. That term Gentiles refers to those who do not believe the gospel. They're unbelievers. So why don't missionaries and the church seek support from the lost? Well, according to Luke chapter 10 and verse 7, the Bible says the New Testament standard is that the laborer is worthy of his hire, and therefore the church for the church to depend upon the lost world to underwrite its mission would cheapen the gospel. And we would end up selling to people we should be reaching with the gospel. The church is a one another ministry, ladies and gentlemen. We serve our brethren. So God designed the church to fund the mission of the church. And if we're going to expect missionaries to go out by faith, then we as supporters holding the ropes must give by faith. The Apostle Paul provided the pattern for giving to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 to 11, where we read, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox, muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth not God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of this hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it great thing if we should reap your carnal things? Missions is an obligation as well as a partnership. Let's look at verse 8. 
We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. The first half of verse 8 here speaks of the obligation. We therefore ought to receive such. We ought to take these vagabonds for God in to assist them. The second half of verse 8 speaks of the partnership, that we might be fellow helpers. So both Paul and John shared the same understanding. God's servants have given their lives for spiritual ministry of the word. That's what missionaries do. They go out, they preach the gospel, plant churches using the word of God. Now, those who have invested in God's people spiritually, those who have invested in the missionary, are in need of receiving from the church materially. But how? How can we do more for God's servants? What significant provisions could be made for missionaries? Let me take the last five minutes to highlight this very quickly. First of all, with regard to furlough and deputation housing, our home church that sent us off to the mission field back in the end of 1988, they never provided, they were never able to provide housing for all of our years on the mission field. And that's why when I would come back to America, I wouldn't place that burden on them. I assumed that responsibility. I was the one who went out, bought the 15-passenger van, pulled the 5 by utility trailer, and we lived on the road. That was the way we handled it. When we were preparing for a transition uh, off the field, uh, leaving Taiwan, coming back to America, a non-supporting pastor in Indianapolis, Dr. Warren Defoe, who was president of the Board of Trustees at Baptist World Mission at the time, contacted me in Singapore. He said, Brother Pat, you are leaving. Oh, this was, this was the furlough of 0607, right? Yeah, yes, okay, I was leaving Singapore, going to Taiwan. And um, he's, I, was, I wasn't sure at the end of 06 where I would be going after Singapore. I wasn't sure at that point it was Taiwan. He said, you know, you're coming back to America. You're making a big decision about where the Lord has you to go next. Where are you going to base your ministry? I said, I'm not sure. I said, I'll probably live on the road like we've always done. He said, no, 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 Pat. He said, now listen to me. On our church property, we have a building. It's a little cracker box house, three small bedrooms. It, it, you know, your family would have to squeeze in there, but at least it could be a pit stop for you. We're centrally located, Indianapolis, the heart of America. Uh, why don't you just pray about, ask Mary about it. We'd have to go in and gut this house. We'd get it all set up. I think your family would enjoy it. Ask Mary what she thinks. You pray about it. I asked my wife, what do you think? She said, let's do it. So we did. And you know, in the course of that furlough, 2006-2007, Eagledale Baptist Church rolled out the red carpet for my family. We fell in love with them. They fell in love with us. It was a match made in heaven. But what a tremendous ministry they were to us in the times we were off the road in between meetings. Just something to think about. Vehicle. 
You know, it can be a huge burden to missionaries to come off the mission field after a term of service and then have to source out a vehicle to travel throughout the country and then unload that vehicle, as I often would do, before returning back to the field. There are churches who have found a way just to provide vehicles for missionaries during their time of furlough, a tremendous blessing. And then health needs. You know, our family has been helped over the years we served overseas by Christian medical professionals whose earnest desire in every case was to simply bless our family. Whether it was doctors who provided physicals and testing, or whether it was dentists who provided crowns and fillings, or whether it was optometrists who provided exams and glasses, on and on I could go. But the biggest need of all is fellowship and friendship. Oh, to be genuinely loved and simply cared about. How do you flesh that out? How do you, as a local church, show the missionary, Brother Pat Mary, we love you and we love your family? Well, I would suggest take them shopping, take them fishing, take them hunting, take them hiking. In other words, incorporate them into your life as your very best friend. You know, the friendships we've made over all of our years serving overseas, now back in America, the last 10, we have friendships that span 30 plus years. They're a treasure to us because God's people have invested in us. And there's a reward in heaven waiting for those who have. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the testimony and reputation of Gaius who simply had a heart for these vagabonds for God. Lord, reproduce here through Fellowship Baptist Church more people just like Gaius whose hearts just simply go out to those who serve abroad. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.